Jewish crowd attacks group of Arabs driving on Yom Kippur. Who among us hasn't celebrated Yom Kippur by flipping a car like we just won the championship? Even Raiders fans were like, chill out. Yes. In the last 24 hours, the occupation has murdered four children. Since the year 2000, over 2,230 Palestinian children have been killed by the occupation and its settlers. I was censored and fired for criticizing Israel, but I'm in good company. DC, Mark Lamont Hill, Abby Martin, Steve Salida, Activist Davis, Norm Finkelstein, and Nathan J. Robinson. A handful of journalists, scholars, who at one point or another have lost their livelihood because of speaking out to defend Palestinian human rights. Israel is an apartheid state, drawing on many different sources, the UN, the International Criminal Court, human rights organizations, and South Africa's Nelson Mandela. Hey, what does South Africa know about apartheid? anyway. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you celebrated Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, by flipping a Palestinian car. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional one to two podcasts per week, including our latest podcast, The Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. So uh, there's an article from Haaretz from October 5th, 2022. The Headline says Jewish crowd attacks group of Arabs driving on Yom Kippur outside Tel Aviv. The car was driving through the city of Bat Yam when a crowd of Jewish worshippers clad in white, as is traditional on Yom Kippur, emerged from a nearby synagogue and tipped the vehicle over. So that's where you got your Mike Intifada from. That's where the Mikey Intifada is from. Yeah. Hey, who among us hasn't celebrated Yom Kippur by flipping a car like we just won the championship in Los Angeles? Who among us hasn't rioted like it's a Dodgers game win? Even Raiders fans were like, bro, chill out. Yeah, it is a strange way to celebrate a religious holiday. The one where you're supposed to say sorry for things. Right. To reach out to the people that you've wronged and try and mend those relationships or you could just occupy their land and flip their cars over i think what they were doing is they were adding things to the list for next year oh they wanted yeah. to get a jump on it you know yes yes a jump on adding more things to be sorry for yeah they were also supposed to have been fasting all day so it's like i don't know where they got the strength or the energy to flip a car from Maybe they were just hangry. Well, you know what they say. Many hands make light work, so. <laughs> or or they say more people, more drama. But, you know, either or. I thought that was money. 
I think that's what it is. Did you just misquote Biggie? <laughs> I think so. Sad. <laughs> so this story was actually reported on last year. I came across it last week. Pirates reported last year that an Israeli court ruled that the 2004 killing of a girl in Gaza violated international law, but denied her family compensation. Now, this girl, Iman Al-Hams, was murdered in Gaza. She was 13 years old at the time. It was in 2004, before the occupation withdrew from Gaza. And she was shot by occupation soldiers 17 times. 13-year-old girl was shot 17 times. She had more bullets in her than the number of years that she lived on this earth. The Israeli court ruled that despite the fact that the occupation soldiers violated international law, her parents would not be able to recover any compensation. The so-called commander who shot her, saw her walking in front of him. She was on her way home from school. And she apparently, reportedly, was seen approaching the occupation army post because lost her way uh, en route from school. And the commander said that she was carrying a backpack with books and soldiers opened fire at her because they said that they thought the books were filled with explosives. That's how much they fucking hate reading. Government said that the soldiers continued to fire at her, even though she attempted to flee because they thought that she was involved in committing a terrorist attack and that she had left an explosive device behind in her backpack because as she started to run, she dropped her backpack. The troops killed her and the backpack was never examined. Rather, it was just bulldozed and buried in the ground, according to the government representatives. And they bulldoze backpacks too? Yeah, it's... Uh, thought it know, was just houses. They just can't help themselves, right? Anything that is a symbol of Palestinian life, just get rid of it. Just bury it literally under the ground. Get Build a condominium it. on top and nobody, forget about it. Nobody can see it. So the commander was arrested and put on trial for illegal use of a weapon. Again, this almost never happens, right? Because usually they just get a hero's welcoming, a loving mother's embrace. They get to go on TV. They get probably some sort of a parade, you know, like, you know, all through town and on all the... The, the Zionists are out there clapping for them. I mean, I don't know, right? Yeah, it's like the pots and pans for the first responders, but for sure. murder. But despite the fact that this commander gets put on trial, about a year later, an Israeli military court, which we refer to as colonial court because that's what it is, acquitted him of all charges, ruling that the soldiers who testified against him, claiming that he had shot the girl to death, lied to take revenge on him. The girl is dead. She has 17 bullets in her body. And the colonial court says the testimony of the other soldiers has to be disregarded because they are only testifying in order to get revenge on the commander. And everybody is totally ignoring the elephant in the room, which is the dead Palestinian child with 17 bullet holes in her body. What a weird thing for a court to rule that the soldiers who testified against the commander claiming that he had shot the girl to death lied to take revenge on him. Well, then how did the girl die? This is like a complete affront to all things having to do with law and justice and procedure. I mean, this is a total joke. I would call it a kangaroo court, but I don't want to be disrespectful to kangaroos. You know, you have a point there. 
kangaroos seem like they have a better justice system going on because at least when one of them dies they acknowledge it so the judge in this case found that the, the that the claim that the girl approached the army post while on her way to school was quote extremely unreasonable due to the topography of the area because the so- the school was located in the opposite direction the judge also found that the soldiers claims that they thought alhams intended to attack them were reasonable okay so here we go a court a court which is supposed to be you know, the space of legitimacy and reasoning and intelligent people finds that it was reasonable for a bunch of occupation soldiers who were hiding in tanks with the most advanced technology and military weapons in the world finds that it's reasonable for those people to fear the presence of a 13-year-old Palestinian girl whose land that they are on in violation of international law. They're afraid of her and that is reasonable. They're like, she, we told you not to read Edward Said. I want you to just understand how callous and careless they are and 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 hateful they are with Palestinian life. And it shows in the reasoning of this so-called court judgment. Okay. The judge says in, in, in the judgment that the killing and the confirmation of the kill were not required to neutralize the danger to the soldiers' lives. So it was forbidden for them to carry out killing and the confirmation the danger of the soldier's life they're like a palestinian came close to us a child had to assess the threat appropriately you know it's one of those things where it's like the premise is wrong is all wrong why is our life always being put in 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 proximity to you and your safety when you're on our land. And why are you in Gaza? Why are you on our land? If it's not safe for you to be on our land, don't be on our land. But, but also, they're like, they're like, no, no, we hear you. But what we're going to do is we're going to build the most oppressive military apparatus and then enforce an apartheid state through brute force. How's that sound? Yeah. And then we're going to say that you are a threat to us. You and anybody who we think looks like you as well. Anybody who's even like related to you. Then the the judge goes on to comment on the, the, the act of confirming the kill. He says that the act of killing and confirmation of the kill were committed as one single mistake. Or in other words, a continuous action due to the same mistake in properly responding to the threat. The judge said confirming the kill did not compound the guilt already embodied in the first action and did not give the impression that the captain did so in any way to abuse the girl's body or out of hatred. Instead, it was simply, quote, following to the end the mistaken view that the deceased was a terrorist. Listen to the way that they try to reason with intellect how they are allowed to murder and mutilate and decimate our bodies. Yeah, they sounded like a French lawyer just then. Children, a child, a child. This is this is a judge describing in legalese why it's okay for an occupation soldier to riddle a 13-year-old girl's body with bullets. And he says, no, no, but it's okay because it's all part of the same mistake. And that mistake was a reasonable mistake. He just thought she was a terrorist. And so anybody can just say, I just thought it was a terrorist to murder. That's just all you have to say. You don't have to say anything else. 
not even Al Capone would be that intellectually dishonest. You know what I mean? He'd just be like, they owed me money. That the confirmation of the kill, that didn't mean that he he was trying to abuse her body or he did it out of hatred. Oh, okay, because it's totally respectful to somebody's body when you shoot them 17 times. That's how Jews sit Shiva. It is really like, it's like, it's like, it's like pouring acid on an open wound. When I hear, when I have to sit here and read how they say, oh, no, 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 but we didn't do that to abuse her body. You murdered her, but we didn't do that to abuse her body or out of hatred. It was just a mistake. Sometimes I make a mistake and I end up sleeping on a couch for the night. You know what I mean? Sometimes you make a mistake and murder a child. That's just one child. That's just the story of one child and the very disgusting way that it was dealt with in the so-called Israeli legal system afterwards. If the parents, imagine the trauma that these parents feel to learn that they're beloved child has been murdered as a result of being shot 17 times. And then imagine having to sit through years of legal proceedings and see this as the result. It's really torturous in a way that, I mean, no human should have to ever, ever live. And as you said, that's just the story of one child. In the last 24 hours, the occupation has murdered four more children. Four Palestinian youth by the names of Adil Dawood, Mahdi Ladadwa, Ahmed Daragma, and Mahmoud Sous. Another brutal killing of Palestinian youth. As usual, the occupation forces shoot the Palestinian boy and they leave him to bleed out before taking his body and stealing it. This is, of course, consistent with the occupation's entire existence since the year 2000. Over 2,230 Palestinian children have been killed by the occupation and its settlers. And that comes from the Defense for Children International. Is an organization that they tried to accuse of terrorism, if I remember correctly. That's one of those so-called terrorist organizations that everybody who looked into it was like, nah. They're just protecting the kids that you murder and also call terrorists. There is a common thread here, Michael, and it is that somebody's murdering, but it's not the people you call terrorists. Yes. The thing is, is if you care about Palestinian children or you are a Palestinian child, you're a terrorist, apparently, is is the metric. In this week's news of people who were doxxed, fired, had their livelihood ruined for rightly pointing out that Israel is an apartheid state, Katie Halper, journalist who contributed to the Hill TV's Rising for three years, was recently fired over a monologue that she had prepared defending Representative Rashida Tlaib and Palestinians by referring to the barrage of reports in recent years that have come out calling Israel an apartheid state and doing so on the basis of many, many documented reports. She says, my monologue made the case that Israel is indeed an apartheid state, drawing on many different sources and authorities. The UN, the International Criminal Court, Israeli law, human rights organizations, including Israel's own Beit Salem, several Israeli politicians, including former prime ministers, and South Africa's Nelson Mandela, Bishop Desmond Tutu, and the Minister for International Relations, Naledi Pandor. But as I was leaving the office, I got a call from a producer who wanted me to hear it from her that my monologue would not be posted on the Hill TV's YouTube channel. Higher-ups at the Hill and or its corporate parent, Star 
had seen it and decided not to run it. Apparently, there was a new policy in place of which the producer had not been informed against opinion pieces on Israel, either written or filmed. Is that a new policy? Is that not just the the whole th- the thing they've been doing the whole time? <laughs> Seems like it's old as time. <laughs> yeah. That's unusual to call to call that a new policy, you know, because that's the the way that the mainstream media has been swaying for for decades now. Yeah. Hey, what does South Africa know about apartheid anyways? Yeah, exactly. Or Israel's own human rights organizations or their own politicians uh, or Israeli law. What is Israeli law? <laughs> what does that mean? But even under their own law, the, 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 the things that they write, you know, they, they write this these words on paper and they get put into these law books. And even under their own conception of law, they're an apartheid state. Yeah. So, but then they just write new laws where they're like, no, we're not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is really too bad. But um, Katie Helper has joined now the ranks of numerous other individuals who have gotten the boot for speaking up in defense of Palestinian human rights. She, in fact, even tweeted that she was now in good company. She said, I was censored and fired for criticizing Israel, but I'm in good company. CC, Mark Lamont Hill, Abby Martin, Steve Salida, Activist Davis, Norm Finkelstein, and Nathan J. Robinson. Just a handful of the many prominent journalists, scholars, activists who at one point or another have lost their livelihood because of speaking out to defend Palestinian human rights. Yeah. And then you're not allowed to be like, they have disproportionate influence in the media. (laughs) No. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you say that after getting fired by them? (laughs) How dare you continue to do journalism? Yeah. Well, Katie Halper, come on the Palestine pod. You know what I mean? Because we'll never fire you. We also can't pay you. So that's, I mean, we, we pay, we should we do pay, we do pay, but we can't pay for your rent. Oh yeah, definitely not. <laughs> CNN fired Mark Lamont Hill after he criticized Israel and called for a free Palestine. That is 2018. The Guardian fired columnist Nathan Robinson after a joke tweet about military aid to Israel. That is 2021. The AP fires Jewish journalist after pro-Palestine tweets prompting outcry. And that was also 2021. And now Katie Halper has lost her job at the Hill after calling on progressives to dismantle Israeli apartheid. And they will go to whatever length they can to protect this apartheid state. And even if that means firing really good journalists, like some of the best journalists you know what I mean? Of our generation are people who I just mentioned, Mark Lamont Hill, for example. And yeah, it, there's, I mean, there's clearly a concerted effort to keep Palestine and representation for the liberation of Palestine under wraps. They're trying to bulldoze it in the media, backpack full of books. I've got another story about somebody who was fired for Being Palestinian, story broke earlier this week, Palestinian photographer says that the New York Times has fired him for expressing support for Palestinian resistance to the occupation. Mondo Weiss has reported that a Jewish reporter for the New York Times can have a child in the Israeli army, but Palestinian photographer Hossam Salem can't voice support for Palestinian resistance to occupation and keep getting work. Salem is a Palestinian photographer who freelanced for the Times for four years in Gaza. 
He reported that the newspaper dismissed him after a pro-Israel organization alerted the paper to Facebook posts in which he had expressed support for Palestinian resistance. So here we go. Just another instance of Zionists not having any power and not getting this guy fired after scanning his Facebook posts and sending them to the people who can make the decision to fire him, right? This is totally just, you know, not part of a consistent pattern that we talk about all the time. No, it's totally isolated. Completely. Random. And if you say anything else, you know what you are. We don't even have to say because you know what we're talking about. Salem says that the Israeli lobby organization known as Honest Reporting succeeded in discrediting him and two other Palestinian journalists who worked for the Times. Now, this whole point that uh, Philip Weiss makes in the article about how a reporter for the New York Times can have a child in the Israeli army, but a Palestinian photographer can't express support for Palestinian resistance to illegal occupation. There are several Israeli army connections to individuals at the New York Times and reporters for the New York Times that cover this have previously been reported to literally have their own children serving in the occupation forces while they're reporting on this very same issue. Now, if you're wondering what that is called, the word is conflict of interest. It's not if you're if you're a Zionist. No, if you're a Zionist, it's it's all good. But if you're Palestinian and you're living there and you are literally just talking about the people that are trying to murder you and expressing support for those who are trying to keep you alive, well then you're gone. This actually ties into a story about what's going on on the campus of UC Berkeley. I don't know if you've heard, but in late August, a small handful of groups at UC Berkeley School of Law adopted a new bylaw which supported BDS and committed to not bringing any Zionist speakers to their group events. The notorious anti-Palestinian crusader Kenneth Marcus then published an op-ed in a right-wing Jewish journal titled, Berkeley Develops Jew-Free Zones. Yikes. Hey, remember when the Zionists are like a part of the IHRA is that you don't conflate Judaism with Zionism. And then they're like, if you say you can't have Zionists here, we take that to mean Jew free zones. The Berkeley thing, because the Berkeley thing is great because of the recent letter that they uh, issued to the Berkeley law community about their position in response to this allegation that they have allegedly created a a Jew-free zone, which is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Um, But the letter that they wrote was great. I'd like to share some parts of it. I think it was powerfully worded. What they mean is the only people who can do colonialism are evangelicals. So Berkeley Law for Palestine writes, Dear Berkeley Law Community, apartheid is a crime against humanity. And as student leaders at Berkeley Law, we believe that we have an obligation to act. The state of Israel is an apartheid state. It was established just like the United States through the genocide and displacement of indigenous people. An Amnesty International report published earlier this year recognized what Palestinians have been saying for years and what their daily lived experiences demonstrate, that Israel is an apartheid regime. This bylaw is about Palestinian students and Palestinian people. Supporting Palestinian liberation does not mean opposition to Jewish people or the Jewish religion. In fact, Jewish liberation and Palestinian liberation are intertwined and we are committed to each other's safety. You see the statement from anti-Zionist Jewish Berkeley law students in support of the bylaw in the following slides. 
Free speech and the exchange of ideas cannot be romanticized when the byproduct of such rhetoric causes harm to marginalized communities. The action or affinity groups to exercise democracy and choosing not to platform Zionists who are either active or complicit in causing harm to Palestinians from being platformed in their spaces is absolutely a tenable action. As scholars dedicated to the law in an American institution, it is imperative that we recognize our privileges and our responsibility as financiers of the Israeli occupation to uphold the academic freedoms of Palestinian students and scholars whose human right to education is impacted by Israel. The dean of Berkeley Law is a guy named Erwin Cheraminsky. Yeah. Chemerinsky. He's like the biggest scholar of constitutional law in the country. Yeah, he calls himself a progressive Zionist, which I think means like biodegradable bullets. I'm not sure. But anyways, yeah, this whole thing caught the radar of Barbara Streisand, and she weighed in on it, basically asking, does anti-Zionism bleed into broad anti-Semitism? And it's like, no. No. <laughs> yeah, and anyways, I always take my political cues from Barbara Streisand. Oh, for sure. Someone 100%. who is at the core of progressivism in every movement. But this article written by the JC literally has this, this is a sentence. There can be no doubt on this. Now Barbara Streisand has ruled case closed. Wait, someone wrote that? Yeah. Oh. In the court of Barbara Streisand, <laughs> written by Dominic Green. And the article is called Barbara Streisand issues her edict on anti-Semitism. Hey, you remember when edicts were written by kings <laughs> and they were basically like, now you have to convert to a new religion? <laughs> right. <laughs> Funny Girl Star settles the age-old debate over when anti-Zionism is the polite face of good old-fashioned Jew hate. It's like they're playing Mad Libs. You know what I mean? And they just keep throwing words in there without really like caring what they mean when people are like oh 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 you hate zionists you must hate all jews it's like no i only hate christian zionists jews get a pass i just hate the ones that are literally stealing my land as we're having this conversation and uprooting that olive tree like i just hate the ones that are violating me like as we are talking about this yeah i just hate the ones who stalk my instagram profile and send me death threats every day just the ones that are like actively trying to get me murdered just those ones like as if you're not supposed to feel a certain way when uh your family's entire uh lineage has been uprooted from their home yeah get over it but also never forget uh, I love how they're. I love how they're like, "Hey, get over 1948. Never forget what happened in the early 1940s, though." Just get over that one year. Just delete that year. It's like 1947, 1949. And also, don't look at the populations of Palestine during those times. No, that's funny. Get over it and get over it, but never forget. That's the episode title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so the trials of those activists from Palestine Action have been postponed. Oh, yeah. For more than a year now. In April, three activists from Palestine Action spray painted blood red paint and locked on across the doorway of the London office of Albus Systems. And uh, the case 
just this week ended in an adjournment and a future date has been set for more than a year from now. So they are just waiting to see what will happen. So the landmark case of the Elbit 8 has been delayed to November 2023. It was decided in a court hearing earlier this week. The charges still stand and are highly politically motivated. An act of calculated lawfare leveled at the movement to shut down an Israeli arms factory. Its delay follows on from three prior delays to the trial over two years, most notably in May 2021 when Gaza was being assaulted by the occupation. In addition to this, the trial of the Kingsway 3 entered court this week. On the third day, it was announced by a judge that the trial would be put on hold to a further date after Elbit Systems failed to provide necessary evidence pertaining to the company's activities. Once again, Elbit is shying away from the courts and the prospect of scrutiny. A number of cases faced by members of Palestine Action have faced significant delay, while many have walked free after charges were dropped owing to unrealistic prospects of conviction and the repeated failures of Elbit to provide any evidence to the court. Last month, five activists saw all charges dropped following action taken in July at Elbit subsidiary UAV Engines, where combat drone parts and engines are manufactured. Nevertheless, the campaign to prove Elbit, Elbit is guilty continues, comprising all ongoing and upcoming legal battles. Regardless of legal outcomes, Palestine Action knows that history will vindicate these actions, while Elbit and the international arms trade will be condemned to the dustbin of history. Resistance against Elbit is a duty, a duty that will be answered regardless of what the British courts have to say. Port activists who shut Elbit down in London mobilize at Highbury Corner Magistrates Court from 9.30 a.m., on the 11th, 12th, and 13th of October. This was a press release sent out by El Palestine Action. Oh, and also an update on the Shenstone location. The police raided the camp once again. They shut down the encampment, and the activists have been taking direct action again by locking themselves at the gates of the factory trying to stop the production of weapons. So once again, shout out to these folks who are week in and week out, putting their bodies on the line to stop the weapons from being delivered. I'll put it in terms that people who support the occupation could maybe understand, right? You're killing a child because one day they're going to be a terrorist and we're trying to stop the bombs because one day they'll kill a child. Do you want to talk about Nas Daily? Not like, really. I don't but we can. We can just briefly say, you know. Total loser. So Nas Daily, which stands, it's short for makes you nauseous daily. <laughs> he posted a video recently where he was like, listen, it's both sides. My family is Palestinian and Israel. I actually didn't even watch the video because it Neither was disgusting. Did I. I just heard he both sides did for like 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah. So, um, Which is too long, right? Yes. And he also said, this is going to, this is going to be the most controversial video I'll ever make. And it's like, dude, you don't have to preface a video where you just say both sides because that's what the entire mainstream media narrative has been for decades yeah. so you're not really doing anything he's different like this is here. so controversial for the year 2000 
And it's like, maybe it just took him a long time to upload the video. Like maybe he meant to do it like 20 years ago. I don't know. But here's the thing, guys. Um, it isn't both sides. And Nas is a paid operative of the Israeli state. I know. He is literally like their PR team for totally. Palestinians. Like totally, totally. And he's if this, you've ever, this, he's the guy on the roster. He's the guy on the payroll that they got that you know says he's Palestinian and 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 just tries to be like, no, guys, it's it's hard for everybody. You know? Yeah, you know what's interesting is that a lot of Zionist Jews will call me a capo, which is a Jew who coordinated and worked with the Nazis. But that's actually what Nas Daily is. Nas Daily is somebody who, for the purpose of status, for the purpose of comfort, for the purpose of privilege, will sell out his own people and will coordinate the message of the Zionist occupation. Yes, and as political analyst Omar Badar said. What is missing from this vapid and superficial video is any sense of the overwhelming disparity in the scale of suffering and violence, and more importantly, why that suffering and violence exists, namely the political injustice at its core. Right. Uh, in other words, the racist ideology driving the entire machine of the apartheid state, which is Zionism, the reason why Palestinians are not supposed to be in Palestine, right? Because that land is supposed to be for somebody else. And we're just in the way of the Zionist project. Sorry, we've been here for thousands of years. We just happen to be in the way of their plan to set up a new state that doesn't include us on it. Yeah. So also, what's missing is NASCAR like sponsors. You know what I mean? Where it'd be like, this video is brought to you by the JNF. <laughs> this video is brought to you by Friends of the Idea. Like, that's. Yeah. How he should have ended his video. 100%. They paid me. You know how when they like, uh, they'll put like a bar at the thing at the bottom of like a news organization and be like, this was paid for in part by the Russian government. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, that's what Nas Daly's thing should have. And it should be like, this entire thing was funded by the Israeli apartheid state. Let me just end with one other thing, because this is bringing, bringing together a lot of Palestine pod alums. Ahmed Chahabedin has written in the New Arab about Vin Arfuso and Anwar Hadid's walled off documentary. He says it's a heart opening expression of cinematic intifada and Palestinian deliverance. Uh, Vin Arfuso and Anwar Hadid's debut documentary feels like a decisive moment in Palestinian film, Ahmed writes. Endorsed by a star-studded list of activists, the film is certain to attract a new sympathetic audience towards the Palestinian plight. Yeah, shout out Anwar and Vin, congrats on the movie. The film breaks through the noise and propaganda to highlight the pain and the persistence of Palestinians, dipping in and out of moments from their journey to the homeland following Anwar as he explores the Waldorf Hotel in Bethlehem. Waldorf first premiered in Italy last month to a rapturous round of applause and a standing ovation from the audience for its ability to break through the noise and propaganda and document the obscene nature of the occupation in a way that educates and engages. I hope the people walk away from the film understanding how terrible the Israeli occupation is, Vin said to me candidly after the dinner. <laughs> that does sound like Vin. I hope they just see how terrible it is. Much of the film is presented in a guerrilla style because a majority of his equipment was confiscated during his arrival in, quote unquote, Israel. Yeah, they'll take your shit before you can even film it. And if you manage to film it, they won't air it. Because things are normal and Zionists don't have disproportionate control over anything. 
Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Palestine Pod. Check us out online, www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.